0: Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I wanna chat with you about, one thing I just wanna really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people uh, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ, and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street, we would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with after all this is god's plan to push back what's dark in the world the local church is to be a light and we pray that you would find that i hope that this sermon blesses you i may god bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word all right so you guys ready to dig into it i hope so that's all i've got left um so so we're going to do, so Colossians 1, uh, as we just read in verse uh, 24, um, I think the first thing uh, we, we really want to dig into as we, as we read the whole thing um, is that Paul, just before this, uh, in verse 23, says became that I, Paul, became a minister, um, and he's going to use that word minister again as we read in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to to the stewardship of God. So the real quick, I, I think we need to put some context into this word minister um, because I think when we think of this word minister, we kind of think of my position here and what I do. Um, and that's not what Paul is talking about. When Paul uses this word minister here, what he's really saying is this word for servant. Um, it's where the word we might get, uh, we'd get servant from or, or the word deacon. And I don't mean deacon like, like we think about in the in Baptist churches here today. Uh, where they're like the leaders of the church. I mean, like deacon is like people who just serve in the church. And so when we think about this word minister, we think about the word servant. We need to hear the word servant. So we hear Paul say he's a minister. Don't think about some position that you're, if you're a Christian, some position that's higher than you, because that's not what he's talking about. There's not a single person who's been called to Jesus who hasn't been called to be a servant. Everyone who's been called to Jesus is called to serve both Jesus and his people. And so, this word servant here is not Paul separating himself from the church, but being a part of the church. I'm a servant along with you. And so, so we have to understand that when Paul uses the word servant, when Paul's talking about the things that he's doing, this isn't some high calling or higher calling than what's for us. This is our calling. We are to be like Paul in this, we are to be servants. Um, And so, we serve Jesus by both serving him, his church, and others. Um, And so, uh, and we'll talk about kind of how that looks as we get into it. But I want to kind of get into verse 24 here because we read really quickly in here what seems kind of like a problem. And so it says, now, pa- Paul writing, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. So this idea that Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, like, ooh, uh-oh, like, wait a second. Like, Paul's spent um, the last uh 23 verses saying nothing is lacking like like christ is everything christ is all christ is the creator of the of the universe and he everything that was created was created by him and through him and for him and in him everything is held together like he's building up the preeminence of christ and now he's saying something is lacking and so we kind of think about that we hear that and that could be an issue for us and that could be why is paul saying this why is paul why would paul say something is lacking and so Paul's writing this letter and what he's saying here, this idea of lack, I think we read too much into it. And so let's look at the word affliction first. Uh, this word affliction, so to lack in affliction, lack, lack in Christ's affliction, this word affliction, the thing that's, that we need to note is it's never used to, to describe the crucifixion of Christ. Nowhere in the Bible is the word affliction used, or this Greek word for affliction used, to describe the crucifixion of Christ. So he's not talking about something that's lacking in the finished work of Christ. Because when Christ died on the cross, he didn't say it's almost done. He said it's finished. It is finished. And so it is finished. And so nothing is lacking in the crucifixion. But let's let's look at it this way. Like if I, and I don't recommend anyone do this, but if I was to give my wife Margie a to-do list, again, I don't recommend giving your wife to-do list. So that could end badly. Um, but if you do that, um, I'm just kidding. Not that you should, but I don't think Margie would hate me for it. But if I gave her a to-do list and I came home and I said, hey, babe, like, did you, you know, she's like, "She's like, hey, I didn't get it done. And I'm like, oh, okay, hey, what do you lack? Now, what I'm saying in that moment, I might not say it like that, but some people might say it like that. What do you lack? You're not saying that what you've done up to this point is not enough. It's not good. None of it, you're not saying that none of it was good. You're just saying there's still more to do. And so when we think about this idea that that what's lacking in Christ's affliction, we have to think about it like that. Not that what Christ has done already isn't isn't good, but that he has more yet to do. There's promises that have yet to be fulfilled. That we have we're not sanctified. So we're we're here on this earth. And, and, and Paul would say right before this that, that Christ works to present us blameless and above reproach, holy and blameless. So Christ sees us like that, but the reality is that we still sin, we still have sin, we still wrestle with our flesh, we still have this dual nature in us. And so, you know, like Paul would write in, in Romans. In Romans, that he, there's things that he knows he should do that he doesn't do, and there's things he knows he shouldn't do that he finds himself doing. And so we as Christians, we can resonate with that. And there's, I know what the right answer is, but sometimes I don't want to do that. And there's, I know, what, what, I know things that I shouldn't do, and I find myself doing those things. Like, we can resonate with that. And so there's still work to be done. And so what Paul's saying here is there's, well, he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction, that he hasn't, the suffering that's going to present us mature is not finished yet that they're still suffering for his church to be done, to sanctify, to change his church, to make his church blameless, to make his church holy, not just uh, the perception of Christ to his church, but in actuality. And we know that that will happen upon death when we're glorified, but we, that w- happens in us now as we, as we live, as we're sanctified, as we're made holy by, by Christ. And so this idea Filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, is that Paul is suffering for the sake of the body. He's suffering for the sake of himself and for the body. Um, and, And so, what we can take away from this and what Paul is saying, he's enduring affliction for the church. He's enduring, like, Paul's writing this letter and he's in prison. And so he's in prison saying, like, my afflictions are for you. Like, I will gladly continue to preach the gospel even if I keep landing up in jail because I want the gospel to go out. I want people to hear the word of God. I want people to be changed and saved and come to Christ. And I want churches to be planted. And I will keep doing that even if it means more in jail, more time in jail. So Paul's saying my affliction is for the church that I suffer. I will gladly take the hit for you and go preach the gospel even if it means more jail time. Like, you will face suffering as a Christian. You will face afflictions. You will suffer. Bad things will happen. Like, horrible things can happen to you. And that is part of being a Christ follower. I know that's not sexy. Like, if you're looking for a church, it's like, I'm just going to come here and, and just tell you everything's going to be okay and you're, everything's going to be great. Come to Christ. Everything can be better. That's not biblical and it's not what we're going to say here. And it didn't take me long to just go onto my Twitter and find, um, I do have a Twitter account. I know that's. Not everyone has that, but I have one, and uh, one of my favorite, uh, favorite, it's kind of a loose word, one of my favorite prosperity gospel clowns that I, I follow just to kind of see what he's saying. If you don't know what I mean by prosperity gospel clown is there's this uh, gospel that's preached today that if you come to Christ, everything's going to be okay. You'll be healthy, wealthy, um, you'll have friends, you'll have family, like, everything's going to be okay if you just have enough faith and you come to Christ and you listen and follow him everything will be okay, and so I I go to this Twitter page, and literally yesterday, as I'm kind of putting the finishing touches and kind of, uh, you know, internalizing my sermon, I I get to read this, and it was just so fitting. Uh, He writes, he tweets, if you'll be sensitive to what you're hearing, the still small voice, the promptings, the suggestions, the alarms, then God will save you from heartache and pain. He'll lead you into promotion and favor does that sound like Jesus's life at all? Like, did Jesus, it was it because Jesus wasn't he, hearing, he wasn't listening to that still, small voice, the prompting, the suggestions, the alarms that God didn't save him from heartache and pain? Like, you think about Jesus's life, and man, he, he, his family thought he was crazy. He went, he went home, and they're like, oh, we're not gonna listen to you. You're, you're, aren't you Joseph's son? Like, we know Joseph. He's just a carpenter. We're not gonna listen to you. He's betrayed by his friends. The, the government hates him like, was he saved from heartache and pain? Was it because of his lack of hearing and listening and obedience? No, it was because of his obedience that he felt heartache and pain. We talked about it last week. If you go back to, to Mark and the story of, of the disciples going in that storm and that, you know, that great passage we, we get that song from about walking on water and Jesus calls Peter to walk on water, that, that cool song, and when he does it, and, and it's this awesome moment. But what happened? Why were they in that storm? Because Jesus told them to go. He said, hey, go to the other side. I'm going to go and pray. I'll meet you across on the other side. So they go, they listen to Jesus. They listen to that still, small voice, the prompting, the suggestion of God. And they end up toiling for eight hours in a storm because of their obedience. And so we don't come to Christ because our life's going to get better. We don't come to Jesus hoping that everything's just going to work itself out. We come because he's worth it. And, and, and so there's not just these prosperity gospel guys, but there, there's this other thing, um, there's a video going around of a, of a popular North Carolina preacher, and what he would say is that there's, uh, there's even one thing that the Son of God can't do, and that's that, that he can't overcome your lack of faith, he can't overcome your lack of belief. And, and so, so this, uh, this idea, this, this horrible, horrible theology um, comes down to this idea of, uh, and we've had, it, have, we've had people come into the church and, and tell members of the Grove this, and we've had to ask them to leave. They would say, hey, like, if, you would just, if you believe and you have enough faith, like, you'll be healed. Your, your baby won't die. Like, your, your baby's healed if you have enough faith. Well, then what happens when they have, mis- when they have a miscarriage? What happens when they, their baby's born stillborn? It, was it because of their lack of faith? I don't know, but I don't think it has to be that. It doesn't have, that does not have to be, like, stuff happens to Christians. Christians have affliction and they have suffering, not always because of their disobedience. Yes, there's earthly consequences for disobedience. Like, if I go have an affair, I will probably lose my marriage. That does not, that's not God, like, putting me through suffering for sanctification. That's me making a choice, God allowing it to happen for my sanctification. But it's not, like, that's my, I did that. But there's other things that happen that, we don't cause, that happen, these afflictions, these sufferings that are simply there for our sake, for our joy, that we would become more and more like Christ. And so we read, we read, and we've, man, I we feel like sometimes we talk about the same stuff over and over again, but I just want to make sure we got it. You go to Romans eight twenty eight. If you have any background in church, this is like something was thrown at you. If you've ever gone through suffering and you were like part of a church that someone probably told you this verse, and you just wanted to punch them in the throat because you weren't ready to hear it yet. But it's Romans 8:28, It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 100% true verse. Absolutely true. But what happens is we mix up what that good is. We think that good is like, well, then that means I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have babies. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a good marriage. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to have that favor. But Paul doesn't just say that. He continues on. He says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that in order he, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so that good, the reason why all these things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose is that they might be conformed in the image of his son. That may mean without a family, without a marriage, without a house. It could mean those things. And the question is, Will you be okay with that? Like, is Christ enough that you could say with Paul, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I think, I think we might need to go and talk about Paul's afflictions so we could really understand what, like, what, because, like, you know, Paul's like the leader of the church, and I think he's got it all, got it all good. So 2 Corinthians... Uh, I didn't put it up on there, but if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24, it's, uh, it's so good. It's, it's so awful that it's so good. 2 Corinthians 11:24. 24. He says, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. That's 39 for those who are public schooled with me. I did the math. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's Paul's afflictions. That's, those are the things that Paul rejoices in for the sake of the church. I think on, on, on one of these shipwrecks, I think it was the, uh, the, the second time he was shipwrecked. He's on an island. It could have been the third. I'd have to go back and look. But he gets bitten by a viper. Like, come on. Like, he's on a missionary journey trying to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he gets shipwrecked and then bitten by a snake. Like, if anyone could just cry out to God and be like, are you serious? Like, why? Like, why me? I'm trying to do this for you, God. Like, it could be Paul, but he doesn't. He rejoices for the sake of the church. And, 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 and in this, this is the part that blows my mind. Like, he's shipwrecked. He is, he's, he's adrift for a night and a day. He's adrift at sea. And, he, and you couple that with verse 28. Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So Paul, adrift at sea, he's like, oh man, I'm just, I hope the church in Ephesus is doing well. Like, I'm just so worried about them. I hope they don't hear about this and think God's not a, not a good, glorious God. Like, he's adrift at sea thinking about these other churches, having anxiety not for himself, but for the church. Like, he, he's, he's adrift at sea. He's being bitten by a viper, and he's like wondering, like, man, is this church in Colossae? I hope they're hearing my letter. Like, I hope Epaphras, he's, I hope he's pastoring well, and hope he's leading them in love and grace and in truth. This is Paul. This is, this is Paul. He is serving for serving jesus and serving his people and he's suffering because of it but he counts it as joy this is the cost of ministry you will suffer for ministry and every christian in here is called to ministry jd i've said this before but jd greer he's now the president of the southern baptist convention um he, he, he said it this, I think this is hyperbole, but I, 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 love what, I love why he said this. He said, the day I became a pastor was the day I left the ministry. What he means by that, because in, in Ephesians, Paul would say that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for ministry. But in America, we have that so backwards that we think up here is ministry and everyone comes and sits and consumes and, and hears and listens, but they don't have a ministry. They don't serve. We serve up here. And everyone just comes and listens, but Paul says, no, like, everyone's this, everyone called to Christ to serve, everyone has this ministry, and the cost of that is, is, is suffering and it's affliction. So what's the goal of, of, of Paul's affliction? What's the goal of his suffering? What's the goal of his serving? He says in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God choose to make known how great the Gentiles are, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like he is doing all this, that the word of God might be fully known, that the that the mystery t- that is, has been revealed to the saints would be known among all people, that Christ in us is our hope of glory. Like Paul wants to see the gospel message Fully known, He wants to see new converts to Christianity and those who have been converted to Christianity fully matured in Christ, fully knowing the word, fully knowing the good news, uh, knowing that Christ in them is the hope of glory, that they might be presented fully matured. This is his goal. And this is why we do what we do here. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings and we, we worship. This is why some of you get here 30, 45 minutes early to help get set up is because we want to see the word of God fully known. This is why we do home groups. This is why we ask our members to give up a night a week to gather together in small groups to love one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, and to pray for one another. It's because it's your ministry. There's gonna be, I think home groups is so, so important. Home groups is, is this thing we do at the Grove and Where people come together on a night, not like a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. It's not like church service, but it's just a group of Christians coming together. They're eating a meal. They're praying for each other. They're studying his word together. And it's this incredible time. And so this is why we do it. It's, it's, it's everyone in that group. It's their ministry. It's part of their ministry. They come and serve. And there's going to be nights where you're not going to want to come to home group. There's been nights where Netflix is way too tempting, where you're tired, work was too hard, the kids are too crazy, you didn't get the, your part of the meal done, and you're not gonna wanna come. But is that, is that suffering to come to home group and to serve, is it really, in, like can you compare that to Paul's suffering? Like we're just asking for a night. We're not asking anyone to get shipwrecked. We're not asking for anyone to be adrift at sea. We're just asking for a night a week to come and to love your brothers and sisters. Is that, is that so difficult? And for a lot of us, it's not. We had 34 people sign up for home groups. So I, I, I love that our church is excited about it. But, but there's going to be nights where it's going to be tough. And in that moment, are you going to suffer a little bit for the sake of those around you? This is why we do what we do. This is why we pray together. We give up nights for home groups to mature and to serve others. This is the goal: is that people would be matured, people would be saved. And So this isn't just about church. This, as, so if, if you're a parent here today, this is how we ought to parent our kids: is we, our goal should be that they would love Christ and they would be mature in Christ. That should be our goal. I mean, but but our goal so much today. And I'm tempted with this: is to make sure my kids can read at a, a, you know the youngest age possible, to make sure my kids the best at soccer. And Elian scored a goal, kicking it backwards the other day into the right goal, so I was pretty proud of him. Um, but that's not, that can't be our goal. Like, our, like we, like our goal cannot be that our kid's going to go pro in the NFL. That cannot be where we spend all our time and our money because it's just pointless. It really is in the grand scheme of things, it's just pointless. And, and the odds are, no one's kid here is going to go pro. So don't waste all your time and money on it. I don't hate sports. Now, I'm, I'm a soccer coach. Uh, and I get, I'm so glad I get to say that because my first year coaching. I, I'm a soccer coach. I'm that dad. <laughs> Um, and it's fun. We're you know we got we got like orange slices we're handing out and juice boxes and stuff. Really unhealthy things. Uh, we had Gatorade last week. Uh, I saw some parents like glaring at me. But um, but yeah, it, I mean it's so much fun. Like I love it. I love sports, but that can't be our focus. Like sports for us is an opportunity to see Elium, to see Solomon live out. What their knowledge of Christ. It's not about them scoring goals, as, mu- as as awesome as that was. It's about the opportunity for them to live out the gospel, to love these other kids, and it doesn't go well. Like, Salome tackled Elium yesterday, pulling down the back of his shirt. They're on the same team. Like, it was bad. We had to pull Salome off the field. It was the whole thing. The ref didn't see it, so it was okay, but we had to, we had, like, it, it can go bad, but this is why we do these sports, is to put our kids in these situations where they can be sanctified, where they can, we can exhort them, we can encourage them, and we can correct them. This is the goal, is that, so, so, so you're looking down, the, like, the point, like, your, your kid's life as a parent, um, and you think, man, if, if my kid can just get into college, then I, I've done well. If my kid can just get the right job, I've done well. That can't be our goal line. Our our goal should be that our kids would grow up to love Christ. So so now today we press into Jesus with them. We we press the importance of Christ onto them. Um, And ultimately we know we sleep well knowing it's not up to us, but that is where we toil. That is where we struggle with all the energy that he's given us. That should be our message to our kids. It's not that football is the most important, not that school is the most important thing, but that Christ is the most important thing in our family's life. Same thing at work. You can can go to work and you're surrounded by your coworkers and and you can give off this idea that, man, work is the most important thing to me. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get the promotions. I'm going to do well. I'm going to impress the boss. And that's great. But is that the point of you being at work? Or would the gospel say that the point of you being at work is to make much of Christ? We can, we can go on and on, family, you find yourself around your family, and I, I have family who don't know Jesus, and the point of that isn't just to enjoy Christmas or just to enjoy holidays or vacations with them, but it's to encourage them, to mature them. I have Christian, I have family who do know Christ, but they need, they need to grow in maturity, so we use these opportunities to grow, to serve, to love, and all that we do, this should be our ministry. Later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul's gonna say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to in heart and your hearts to God. So that's what we do. We teach each other, we admonish one another, which means we kind of exhort, we 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 call each other out and, and encourage one another uh, with, with truth and in lo- but within love. We point others to Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be our goal line. Knowing that ultimately it's not up to us, so we're not, we're not falling into that trap where, hey, if, if my kids don't grow up to love Jesus, I've done something wrong. Or if my coworkers don't come to Christ, I've done something wrong, or my family doesn't. But we, that's what we work for, and we, tr- we sleep well and trust that God's sovereign, and that He'll save whom He wants to save, and He'll love whom He wants to love. This is why we go to work. This is why we have families. This is why we have friends. We have home groups. Why We have kids. This is why everything that we do is centered around this idea of, of this gospel that needs to go out and this serving that we have been called to do. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Paul continues, and he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Before that, he said, making known uh, the, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how do we do this? The first thing we see here is that this mystery has been made known. There's no secret knowledge. Um, and, and this is how like a lot of cults get started, when there's like, hey, we have some new secret knowledge, um, and, and you come, and you can come, and we'll tell you this new. We have this new book that we created, this is secret knowledge, and this is how cults get started. There's, there's, there's cults back here. That would say we have this new revelation from God uh, that you need to come uh, and and, and weird things happen. So today, like, just be careful when people say they have secret knowledge and that you need to come hear it from them. And they start asking you for, like, your pant size and weird things like that. That's when you know you're starting to get into, like, a cult area um, is when they start giving you certain clothes you have to wear. Anyway, um, that's just one of them. I don't know. There's other ones. But there's no secret knowledge here. The mystery's been made known that Christ is in you, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you, in Christ. And this is how we do it. Paul says, by the, I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. We do it in the energy that Christ gives us. We do it because he is in us. We do it because we know him. We do it because we love him. And we do it because we've seen all, we toil and we struggle. Like these are words that we don't often use all the time. And, and here, here's one thing I'll say, is I think we need to stop saying we're so busy. I know some of you are really busy, but let's stop saying it for a while and just kind of look at our lives. Are we really that busy? Like, some of you are, are busy, and I want to give that to you, but I want you to, so all of us to think about how busy we are, because this is an excuse we hear oftentimes in church and ministry, is I'm just so busy, so busy. Let's, let's, let's step back and let's think about, let's, if we were to like tally all the TV you watch, and all the other things you do, like, how busy are you really? I don't want to sound too harsh. Like, I watch TV. We're trying to finish this stupid house series. I just want to know how it ends. I'm thinking about just watching the last episode so we can be done with it. Um, I just get so caught up in stories, it's hard to stop. Uh, this, that happened with Lost. I just I couldn't stop watching Lost because I just want to know how the darn thing ended. and It was so dissatisfying. But, um, but we, if we look at all these things that we do. How busy are we really? Like, are we really that busy? Do we really toil and struggle? Is that like, like if someone was looking at our lives, man, that person's toiling, they're struggling. Or would they be like, man, they have a lot of time to do things that they want to do, all these things they want to do, all these leisure things that they want to do. I'm not against leisure time. Like we plan a vacation 61 days from today. I'm counting down. Like I'm really excited. It's exactly 61 days. I'm excited. We're going to go away for a week. I'm so excited. I'm not against leisure time, but I want us to think about how really busy are we is our life marked with toil and struggle because here paul doesn't say you shouldn't be toiling you shouldn't be struggling through life he says for i for this all these incredible things that we may present everyone mature in christ for this i toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works with me we will not toil and struggle until we've seen how much jesus toiled and struggled for us we will not have the desire, the energy to toil and struggle until we really realize and we constantly remember how much Jesus toiled and struggled for us. Jesus was completely misunderstood by his family. We went over this. His family thought he was crazy. Some thought he had a demon. Others just dismissed him because they knew that he was just a carpenter's son. He was betrayed, rejected, ultimately killed. Killed. And, 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 and there's this really cool verse in Hebrews 12, 2, kind of talking about Jesus on the cross. It says, it says this, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame to see at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was that joy? That was us, his his children, his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, that was the joy that was before him. So he endured this cross. He endured the death on the cross for the joy that was before him, the joy of having us in his family. He endured the cross that one day some of us sitting in this room could be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's why he endured the cross. Because he saw this joy ahead of the cross. Although the cross was painful, that the cross was going to hurt, that being rejected for a moment by his father was going to hurt He saw the joy coming in the future, and he endured the cross. He endured a life of affliction and suffering. He endured the hardships of the cross that he might purchase you for himself, that he might purchase us, that he might give us the right to be adopted into the family of God. He endured a life of affliction, a life of suffering. And he gladly endured this. He didn't walk around with his head down, frustrated that he had to do all this, but he gladly endured it. Was there a moment where he he, thought, he hoped there was another way? Absolutely, but he went to the cross with gladness for the joy set before him. And this is how Paul can enjoy his suffering because he sees this joy that's in front of it. And this is how we can enjoy the suffering inflictions and we can rejoice in those things because we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and we keep our eyes fixed on the end goal, that we might ourselves be fully matured, and that those around us might be fully matured. That those around us might, through our suffering, come to Christ. That those around us, that through our suffering, may find themselves matured and growing in Christ by seeing how we suffer. So when we we suffer, Christian, let's, let's suffer well. Let's suffer well. Let's suffer as those who don't have... Uh, not, as, not as those who don't have hope that a future is coming where there's no more suffering, but as those who know without a doubt that there is this suffering coming. Will we have doubt sometimes? Absolutely. But we know in our heart that there's a day coming where there is no suffering, there is no tears, that all these things will end. And that's how we suffer. That's how we get through suffering. We know that this life isn't all there is. If this life is all there is, then yeah, suffering sucks. And it's gonna, it's, it, we, we should just, just try and get out of it as quickly as we, poss- as we possibly can. But if suffering has a different purpose, then we can suffer well. What Jesus calls, and we'll close with this, what Jesus calls us to is hard, it's laborious, it's difficult, it will come with suffering, and it will come with affliction. And you will lose so much in your life if you really follow Jesus. Jesus says to count the cost. I think so often today in, in, our, in our culture and Christianity, we, uh, we say like, hey, this, this table uh, is open for everyone. And everyone should come um, and, and, and come to Christ. And that's absolutely true. We want everyone to come to Christ. But Jesus was super clear that only a few will come. That the, that the, that the, the road is narrow. And that not everyone's going to come. He, he, told, he told people to count the cost. Some people were like, hey, I really want to follow you, but I need to go bury my father first. He was like, well, if you go bury your father, you can't follow me. Like, this is the Jesus that we serve, and we, we come, and we're like, no, like, just, that's okay, go ahead and go do what you have to do, then come back. And Jesus says, no, like, come now. Coming to Christ will cost you. But, and we're, so, so what we're saying is not that everything's going to be okay, and, and your, your baby's going to be fine, your family's going to be fine, all these things will work out if you just trust enough, you just have enough faith. What we're saying is you will lose a lot, but it is worth it. It is worth it to come to know Jesus as the author and perfecter of his faith, as a brother, as a friend, to come know God the Father as a father. It is worth it. And so we do that for the joy set before us in the hopes that we ourselves may be mature, we spend ourselves, we'll wring ourselves out so that others might see Christ so that we would mature, but also that they might put their hope in Christ. What other cause is worth that? Losing all that? What other cause is worth losing? Like, can you think of anything else that you would want to lose everything for? But could you imagine yourself losing everything if just one person would come to know Christ? Wherever you find yourself at work, in the neighborhood, on the soccer field, at home with your kids, in your family, as a husband, as a wife, you're called to be a servant, you're called to be a minister. So let's labor well. Let's suffer well. Let's let do it for, for God's glory and for the joy of those we serve and for our joy that others who have not trusted Jesus may trust Jesus and those who have may be mature. So we're going we're to close here in prayer um, in a time of, of congregational singing and a time of, of the Lord's Supper. But but as we come, I, I want us to be thinking about, like, where is God asking us to serve? What is God asking us? Like, wh- where have you suffered and afflicted for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel? Like, where have you suffered and afflicted? Where, where might God be asking you to suffer? And that you would, you would really wrestle with that question this week, but you wouldn't take your eyes off Christ and the suffering that he did. Because without that as your motivation, the gospel as your motivation, you'll never desire to suffer for others. But when you see how much Christ has suffered for you, you will give up everything for the sake of others. And you could stand with Paul and say, I rejoice in my suffering and my afflictions for the sake of others. That is his church. And so we'll, we'll pray, um, and then we'll sing, and, and we'll have a time where you can, do, uh, d- while we sing, you if you want to come up, if you're a Christian here today and you want to come up and partake in the Lord's Supper, that you're free to do so. Um, you. Uh, you come up and just remember Christ's suffering to celebrate his suffering and to ask him to let to let that be a motivation for yours. And so uh, if you're a Christian you can come up and we'll we'll, we'll do that. Uh, if you're not, uh, we just ask that you just stay seated. You could stand and sing with us, but that you would leave the table for those who believe. It just it doesn't make sense for you to come and symbolically partake in something uh, that you don't actually believe. So that you could just stay. No one's going to judge you for that or think differently for you. That uh, if they do, let me know. We'll deal. We'll work. We'll deal with it. But uh, but come for those who want to celebrate God's suffering on your behalf, um, and then and then we'll we'll close again uh, in prayer. Um, so let me pray for us now, Father. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for your word, Lord, that, uh, that you've given it to us, Lord, that you've given us Paul as an example, as G- that Jesus is an example um, of, how, of, of, of how to suffer well, how to suffer for the sake of others, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we could stand like Paul and suffer that others may come to you and that others may be matured in you in full wisdom and knowledge of your word knowledge of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would constantly look to Christ as that motivation for our, for our suffering and for our serving, um, and that you would, uh, you would just remind us of that, Lord. It's easy for us at, at a time where we're not currently suffering or being afflicted to say, yeah, that's how I'm going to be, Lord, but in the midst of that, it becomes difficult, and we start to have doubts, and we start to waver. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that when we don't believe, and we, we kind of believe, and we don't believe that you would help our unbelief. That we believe um, in the gospel, that we would trust in the gospel, and that we could suffer well, and we could serve well. Um, and I pray that our lives would be marked by our ministry, and a life of suffering wrung out for your glory, our joy, and the joy of those around us. So I pray you'd bless this time that as we sing and as we uh, worship, Lord, uh, through song, that you would just just hear that, Lord, and that would just be a sweet, sweet sound to you, um, that you'd be blessed by that, God. Um, And so I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us here now as we close uh, in song and in the Lord's Supper. I pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.